In a very familiar story today, a parable today, we hear again the tale of the prodigal son. Now, Jesus was uh, being grumbled about by the Pharisees and the scribes who were concerned that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. He was known to associate with people like tax collectors, prostitutes. And the Pharisees, to give them a fair shake, were doing their job. Their job was to ensure that the religion, the ceremonies, the culture, the language, all of that stuff, that it all remained pure and whole and intact. It was a gift given to them by God, the law of Moses, and they were in charge of ensuring that it went on and that it was not corrupted and that it remained uh, a holy thing for God's people. So, in a way, in criticizing Jesus, they were doing their job. But think about what St. Paul says in another part of this Holy Scriptures when he tells us that the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came. But in Christ, all things are made new. In Christ, the law is not abolished, but fulfilled. Because, as he said, the law was our disciplinarian. So, in other words, we had this strict set of written-down laws, rules, and regulations to follow. And as long as we followed those things, we would stay in good stead with God. But with Jesus, and with the discipleship in Jesus, comes freedom. Not freedom from, freedom to. Not freedom from the law, but freedom in that we are called to a higher level of responsibility, a higher level of maturity, in which, because of our following of Jesus Christ, because of our obedience to his commandments to love God and to love our neighbor, we no longer need that overly prescriptive litany of laws. And so, what does God want from us? What does Jesus want to, uh, to tell us through this story of the prodigal son? If you look in the very, very back of your prayer book, I like to say way back beyond the Psalms and the prayers and the tables for finding holy days, and there might even be a recipe or two in there somewhere, um, but way, way, way in the back is the catechism of our church. And one of the first things that is listed is basically what is the church? Good question. It's like asking what is the meaning of life? But in their wisdom, the compilers of the prayer book have really distilled our purpose and our mission and our goal down uh, very well, I think. So what is, the, what is the church and what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to restore all things to unity in God through Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. And so all the things that we do, if they don't point to that goal or that mission or that drive, then it is really for naught. And today, <clears throat> earlier today, in our Lenten learning series, we talked about 
another one of uh, Dr. King's sermons uh, called A Knock at Midnight. And we talked about, we sort of looked at the history of what the world was like and what the church was like at the time that he was preaching. And you can see that there have been marked steps forward. I mentioned to our group that in the Episcopal Church, where we pride ourselves on being open and welcoming to all, um, down in New Orleans, where I lived for many years, um, there were segregated churches, not just sections of a church, but actual churches. Um, Trinity Church on Jackson Avenue, one of the great uh, Episcopal churches of that city, was completely segregated. And if you were a person of color, you had to go down the street to Trinity Chapel. And it was not. Uh, it was separate and definitely not equal. Now, in the 1960s, that practice was stopped. And Trinity Chapel was sold. And uh, the proceeds that, that were raised were used to build a campus chapel at LSU, which is still going strong today. So out of that sort of... Uh, unsavory part of our history, some good work has, was done and is, continues to be done. And so that's one example of just in the Episcopal Church how you know, we, we knew that it was wrong, but we didn't want to take the step forward to do that reconciling work. Now, there were some leading lights in those days. Um, among them is a, a young was a young man who was a seminarian. His name was uh, Jonathan Daniels, and he is in our calendar of, of uh, saints today. He went down to Mississippi to work in the civil rights movement and was martyred doing that, that good and holy work. So yes, steps have been made, but then we take a step back and look at our world today, and we can see that there's still so much work to do how we live in fractured times and in a tribal atmosphere where it's either my way or the highway. Um, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so we lack a sense of uh, an ability to, do, to, to engage in civil uh, discourse, which further fragments us. And it's like we're in a big uh, sort of a salad spinner and we're just spinning and spinning and blowing farther and farther apart from each other and in, in ever wider uh, disparate rings. And that's really the opposite of what God wants. God wants everything to come back into one. We pray constantly for the unity of the church. And if you look also in the prayers section of your uh, prayer book towards the back, there's a prayer for the unity for the, of the church. There's a prayer for the unity of all peoples, which we uh, prayed this morning in the back of the church just before the service began. And I commend that to you. But that is really what we're getting at with this story of the prodigal son. And let me tell you, I, I love this story because it's one of, it is one of the longer parables. And it's so beautifully painted. I love uh, when, when prose like this, is, it sort of really paints a picture. And it shows how much insight Jesus had onto the, into the human condition because he made this story up. These weren't real people. But the, the, uh, the, the emotion and the feelings that the people have the, uh, for each other really 
are so accurate and cut through uh, time, really. They're so applicable to us today. For example, uh, being the oldest son in my family, I really, really identify with the older brother in this story who always does what mom and dad tell him, who does everything right by the books, and here comes the younger one who just does whatever they want and seems to get away with it, and it's very frustrating. But this son doesn't understand. The older son is like many of us today in our world, that, uh, and in the time of Jesus, too. Think of these Pharisees and scribes who were giving him such a hard time about uh, associating with these undesirables. Well, these who you call Pharisees and scribes undesirables, God looks at as his sons and daughters. So you can be as, as pious and church-going as you want, but until we see that common humanity in other people, we're really missing the point. And we're really missing that goal that we have, the mission, the mission of the church, which is so simple, to restore all things to unity in God through Jesus Christ. Now, in my personal life, uh, this story hits a nerve because uh, my version is, is sort of the opposite. My version would be uh, the prodigal dad. Um, when I was about eight years old, my parents divorced, and uh, both my mother and father remarried uh, fairly quickly. And it was decided somehow, I wasn't consulted, uh, that it would be best for my sister and myself if we were adopted by our stepfather. And that is the reason why uh, my last name is Robine today and not Rice. And it was as if that whole Rice side of the family never even existed. All contact was cut off. With one notable exception, my older half-sister maintained contact, contact with us throughout our lives. But it was as if they never happened, and we were just part of this new family now. And, and things went fine. I don't think we were you know, damaged or anything like that. We had a good life growing up, um, all the things a, a, a kid needs to grow up healthy and happy, and um, you know, schooling, a house, food, that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, there was always this longing in my heart to, to get back to that, to my roots, to get back to my my family and to to at least know them and get that let them know me and so when I was 18 I invited them to my uh, high school graduation party and uh, my grandmother came my brother older half-brother came and it was an amazing moment and I got to reconnect with my grandmother and when she showed me around her little apartment on her nightstand was uh, a framed, uh, framed picture of me and my sister, eight years old, the last picture she ever got of us. So I'm blessed that I was able to spend time with her before she died a few years later. And I'm blessed that I was able to reconnect with my father, who also died this spring uh, suddenly. But though he's gone, and, that, and grandma's gone, and, and we mourn that, and we'll always be sad about that, it's, it feels so good to know that we were able to reach out to each other. We were able to reconnect. And, you know, we never got to be super close. But I think it was a holy thing. And I think all of us in our lives can find a moment of, of what, where we were either 
of our own doing or, or imposed upon us was some form of estrangement. And so, again, this bringing back into unity is part of this. Uh, healing estrangement, forgiving sin, uh, repenting of sin, all this stuff that we do in Lent is not just some kind of uh, penance, but it's a way for us to actively and consciously work towards the mission of the church, to work towards rejoining the fragmented body of Christ, to work towards rejoining the fragmented body of our society. So let us pray today that we can listen to this, read this story of the prodigal son, and begin to see in ourselves and others how that light of Christ and that unity, that spark of divine love in, 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 that exists in all of creation and work to restore all things to unity in God through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.